Welcome to the Top 5 Podcast with your hosts, Rail Bricker and Lindsay Adams. Well, ladies and gentlemen, our special guest today is Nick Mortone. Now, Nick is a hospitality industry consultant. Uh, he's written numerous books, uh, one of which was called Raising the Bar, and that is the bar you lean on while you're having a drink. Uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, and he, we, we were talking, and he's got a bit of a hobby. He loves astronomy. So welcome, Nick. Great to have you with us. Thank you, gentlemen. appreciate you having me. So, Nick, um, you, you love astronomy. Is this because you stumble out of the bar in the wee hours of the morning, you fall over, and all you're looking up to the sky and you go, oh, look, there's stars? Is that how it works? I will give you uh, a, a better answer than that, although that is part two. Uh, the, the main reason is I, I was initially attending Fordham University in the Bronx in New York for, uh, I was pre-med. Uh, and my goal was not to be a doctor, but actually to get into the space program where at that time, uh, NASA was looking for uh, people with a medical background to get into the space program. I just loved science. I've always, always have, always will. And uh, it, uh, it long wanted it from, to go from a hobby to a career. But at one point, putting myself through school, working in bars and restaurants, uh, I fell in love with it. And at one point, turned around to my mom and said, hey, mom, guess what? We don't have to pay for medical school. I'm going to open up a restaurant. And my brothers and I did. We opened up a pizza and pasta restaurant in uh, 1984 in Manhattan. And I've never, ever looked back. And I've kept uh, been thankful. I've had a great career. Love it. Wouldn't change it for a thing. And so uh, astronomy is the back burner. And yes, when I leave the bar at uh, four in the morning, I finally get to look up at the stars and see, uh, you know, which what what is out there on this given evening. Okay, well, let's get down to business. We're here to talk about the top five tips for hospita hospitality professionals or any other business owner. So, um, Nick, tip number one, hit me. Um, first and foremost, uh, in, in no uncertain terms, I say lead and manage through your core values. Uh, you need to create a common mission that every employee, every manager, everyone who works with you can follow along. If they don't buy into the mission, they're not going to buy into your program. You're not going to have profitability. So, if you start with a mission statement, get everyone to buy into that, uh, add in your core values, make sure everyone clearly understands what your core values are and how they work and how they can affect the business. Honestly, you will have a great time with work. You will have great employees. And whenever something goes wrong, if your profitability runs askew in any way, shape or form, you always go back to those core values and generally you can find a way. Now, there's a lot of nuance to that, which we can talk about if you like. But I think number one, lead and manage through your core values, start with a mission statement, advance to core values, and make sure everyone is on board at all times. So, so I'm just going to extend that a bit into hospitality, in, into obviously your background. But, you know, how do you, how do you extend that from, you know, your maitre d' or your front office people through to your dishwasher? You know, the person who hides in the back and pops out the back door for a smoke every half an hour. Um, how do you, mm -hmm. how do you, how do you, do. how do you imbue them with this idea that washing the dishes is part of the customer service, the experience that you're trying to generate? Let me answer that. I'm going to first tell you a story about uh, where I came from. Uh, most people know me reputationally when I was managing partner of Gramercy Tavern, uh, which is part of the Union Square Hospitality Group. This was many years ago. I've been a consultant in between, but I spent eight glorious years there helping to build the foundational core values with our leader, Danny Meyer, 
uh, and the Union Square Hospitality Group. And we came up with our core values. And what we found is that if you outline them clearly, communicate them effectively and candidly, you can not only get that dishwasher to do a great job, but you can help that person advance. And so for us, I can go to Gramercy Tavern today, which is probably 30 years after it opened, 1995. So, you know, close to 30 years after it opened. Uh, and I know that in that dining room is a manager who at one point was a runner or a back waiter at Gramercy Tavern. I know that there was um, our chief steward who at one point was the dishwasher. And so I can point to real life examples that uh, if you if you make it clear that the core values are important, you can help someone advance in their career or in their life, even if that means they may need to move on to get up to the next level, but will fill backfill within with someone else who's just as good, and that person will move on and they and they really enjoy the leadership and the learning experience that they get from managing that way. Show the people you care show the people that they align with the core values. You can help them advance in their life and your business gets better for it. I'll go to my grave believing that. Okay. So, so that actually leads on to the second of your tips and, 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 and do you want to share that with us? Yes. Uh, lead and manage for excellence, not just profitability. And, you know, it's one of those uh, mistakes that too many people make. And I'll, I'll stick with my industry, although I can point to retail stores and, and, and others that, that have this failing as well. But we've all seen in, you know, a particular block or neighborhood of our respective city where there were two chefs, both of whom are fabulous. And uh, the, the food is phenomenal. They get rave reviews about the food. Everything is great. But one restaurant builds longevity and is packed day in and day out. And one is not and it's struggling and in either it continues that way or it ultimately closes and what happens and i've often said that the person who said who who has the excellence reflex the person who um, imbues in their staff and it starts with the core values down to lead and manage for excellence that we know we're not going to be perfect we know we're going to make mistakes we know things are going to go wrong that's not the problem um, the problem comes in is when you don't deal with it effectively, when you deal with it, and I'll talk about hospitality in a moment, but, um, but you, when, you, when you train everyone to look for excellence, not perfection, that at every turn you want to make your coworkers safe and secure and happy and, and successful, and you want to take care of the guests to the extreme levels that were possible, um, the business will be profitable. Okay. <clears throat> I like it. Um so moving on, uh, in Australia, we have a saying called it's your shout, which means you buy the drink. So it's your shout, Nick. What's tip number three? No problem. And I put it this way. The food and beverage need to be great. Your hospitality needs to be greater. And it kind of flows exactly from the excellence reflex and the, the kind of story I mentioned a moment ago about the two chefs, one of which is um, leading with excellence, one of which is not, one of which is self-centered on the food, uh, one of which is self is focused on the overarching sense of hospitality, the global sense of taking care of the guest from the minute they walk in the door to the minute you follow up after they leave. And that's the key point. And so the guests will come for the food, but they will stay and return because of the hospitality. And I can point to innumerable examples probably around the world, but I'm going to stick to the ones closest to home for me, which is, I'll speak about Union Square Cafe, which is in New York City, which was the mothership of the Union Square Hospitality Group. And universally, universally, people will go there and say, wow, I had a great experience. You know, the food's really good. 
They never say it's extraordinary. They never say it's one of the top 10 food experiences in the world, but, and the food is fantastic. So I'm not knocking it. I'm very clear. But when they leave there, they have a, such a great feeling of warmth and having been taken care of and, and the, the server knowing them intimately in, in a positive way, not, a, not a over, yeah. uh, yeah. overly overt in any way. And the guest leaves and they continually come back. And there are people at Union Square Cafe now who were the children of the original regulars who are still coming there to this day. And that's what, you, that's what your goal is. But, but Nick, so let me ask you a question. I mean, I, I, extending that, please. seems to become a trend now, particularly with the, the new hotshot chefs, where, where, where there's a level of arrogance built in and I don't know any other word to describe it. No, you're, you're correct. You know, with, with the restaurants and the, and the front office staff walk around with their noses up, showing this arrogance like, like you're here and we'll seat you when we feel like seating you. Right. You know, wh what's your take on that? Is that a phase? Is that going to fade out when they realize they're not, you know, delivering on the hospitality? I think it will, uh, and I think it has to. I think what, what ultimately happens, and, and the way the world is now, let's say post-pandemic, uh, you're fighting for every guest. If you're not leading with hospitality uh, out of the gate, if, you're, if you are the arrogant chef or arrogant owner or maitre d' or sommelier or whatever it is, the guest gets turned off. They can spend their money elsewhere. Everyone has limited time to get out. They have limited resources to get out. But there's a lot of restaurants out there. There's a lot of bars. There's a lot of hotels. There's a lot of experiences that they can have. So I think that person who's leading with arrogance, who, who comes across in the arrogant way that, you know, you're here for me, I'm uh, me, the chef, as opposed to I'm here for you, we're going to provide you with this great experience. Those are the ones that ultimately close uh, far too soon, sooner than they like, or they're not hitting the, 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 the economics that they want. They're not as profitable as they want. And that's frankly how I built my career, being able to turn around those businesses where people come to me because they need help when they're not hitting their margins, when they're not getting things in order the right way. But it all comes down to hospitality, hospitality first and above all. So, Nick, can I just circle back to the, Please. Um, your, you said people may come for the food, but they return because of the service. Now, your country and our country are different in, in one simple way. In, in the U.S., uh, waiters get tips. In our country, they don't. Tipping is not part of our culture. Right. Um, the best tip you'll get in an Australian restaurant is be good to your mother. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm exaggerating. Some people do tip. And, of course, you know, for exceptional service, of course, we give a, a little extra. But it's not the norm. So mm -hmm. do you think that the service thing is driven by money? And will this would this same theory work in Australia as well as it would in the U.S.? I think it does work as well anywhere. I think it works across the board. I think if you look at great restaurants, uh, let's say France as a, as a common example, because I know it better. Uh, uh, there are innumerable restaurants there where the servers are professionals, right? They don't get gratuities or they get very nominal, as you've just outlined. But yet the service is extraordinary. And even there, a restaurant with poor service, with the arrogance of the uh, sommelier, the manager, the owner, whoever it is, um, they're just not as as profitable as they want to be, and they eventually turn over, and someone else takes it on. But there are iconic restaurants like Tayavant in France, if you will, and others that the service is just phenomenal. And decades later, decade after decade, they're they are still in existence. The same thing is happening in New York when you look at Restaurant Danielle or my old homestead, Gramercy Tavern. 
uh, and I can pick a number of restaurants coming on. The tip um, is a whole can of worms that, at, in, in my humble opinion, at some point, it will go away in the US. Um, it, it's heading in that direction when the metrics of the tip pool, uh, the, the minimum wage is going to keep going up and it becomes not effective to take a tip tax credit. So people are just going to pay, say, hey, there's no tipping, you know, and leave it at that. And you'll get a change. Technology is also going to change that here in the US. When when things become now, you know, you don't need menus, right? You can do everything on your phone. You can scan a QR code. The menu pops up. You can order from your phone in the quick service restaurants, maybe not the fine dining restaurants. There's a sea change coming. And I think the people who are interested in getting on board and working through that and still finding an effective way of, of, of managing the guest experience for excellence and hospitality, they're going to be the winners. So I do think it, it's applicable, uh, whether it's uh, in a tipped environment or non-tipped environment. Okay, so so let's let's move on to your fourth tip about you know how you use your fire. Do you want to explain that? Because I read that sentence a few times and I went, this needs an explanation. <laughs> so it goes back to leadership, but on a more tactical measure than leading with your core values or leading for excellence as opposed to profitability, right? So if if I can, I'll, and I'll, I will get to the tips, but if I look at what's happened in my industry specifically, but you look at through other industries like the movie industry where hashtag me too, and again, the arrogant chef, the arrogant owner, the arrogant uh, music industry executive, the arrogant, arrogant producer of a movie, um, the core values weren't there. And in no uncertain terms, they were using their fire to burn people. Right. So they every leader has a natural way of leading. I'm equating that with what is your fire? Right. So you have a number of ways that you can use the internal fire, right? You can have fire in the belly. We've heard that term before. And that's to be a motivator, right? How do you motivate your staff? And as again, that could be a whole podcast on its own, and we could talk about that later. But the second one for me is fire as as in a light illuminating the path for the employees. And that's a big one for me because true leaders illuminate the way and let the managers then take over and put it effectively on the right path. And so I, as a leader, want to teach and train and show my staff how they operate. So using your fire um, is the most effective way, but use it the right way. Now, you could also burn someone. And sometimes you have to. Sometimes discipline is required. So which fire are you using? But it can go to the extreme. So in the hashtag Me Too movement in our industry, it went to the extreme. People didn't like you. You didn't tip. You got the you know you got the worst station in the house. You didn't make the great tips. You you didn't get the best schedule. So you didn't make the most money. So you would burn people, but it was in a disrespectful way. But sometimes you have to do it in an appropriate way. You have to discipline people, and that's good leadership as well. I also think of it fire in the sense of a heating system, right? You can warm. I have a fire, a gas burning fireplace. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, you know, heater to warm my house. You, you want to warm people up. So in the same of, I want to show you I care. You know, when we say this person has a lot of warmth, they're showing you they care. Their internal fire is showing that they have empathy for you, that they care about you, that they want you to succeed. Um, and that's a unique way of doing it as well. And then there's also the campfire. And it's one of my favorite, uh, uh, favorite analogies is, Again, from my personal experience, I use the campfire metaphor to say, okay, we're coming together. 
when you sit around the campfire and you can have, you'd be toasting marshmallows, you can be drinking whiskey, you can be drinking hot cocoa, it doesn't matter, but you're around the campfire, you're all together, you're having fun, you're enjoying each other, and you're warming and you're showing people that a bonding experience and you're building the team in a different way that's unique uh, to any other business out there. So there's just different ways uh, to do it, up to and including being a magician, right? You can, you can set off fireworks. And so you can, you can have some fun around there. So there's different ways that we lead. I'm equating that leadership, that tactical day-to-day leadership with what fire are you using at this moment? I, I love it as an old boy scout. I mean, I really, uh, the, you know, the campfire kind of thing resonates with me, of course, and it would be sipping whiskey, not, not hot cocoa. Uh, as would I. <laughs> but, um, you know, Nick, uh, we, we've got to move on. We're gonna, I'm going to call last strengths or, or shall I call it last tip? Tip number five, what do you got for us? I would say genuinely communicate with your employees. You know, and I think it's effective organizations who want to retain their employees, who want to advance, who want to be profitable, communicate in four simple ways. It's credibility, candor, clarity, and commitment. If you can articulate that at any point in time in the conversations you're having with people, on a day-to-day basis, you're going to win, right? If you're not speaking truthfully, you're not speaking with candor, if you if the staff doesn't trust you, you don't have credibility with them, if you're not being clear, where if they don't understand you, you're not going to get a commitment out of them. But you have to show all those things, If in which case, I'm committed to you by virtue of how I'm communicating with you. You're going to get that commitment back. They're going to communicate back with you in the right way. That's fantastic, Nick. Thank you very much. And just to to run through those top five quickly, that is to lead and manage through core values to create a common mission, to lead and manage for excellence, not just profitability. The food and beverage may be great, but your hospitality needs to be greater. How you use your fire determines how you lead in the moment. And the last one, genuinely communicate with your employees in in four specific ways. So thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. So Nick, um, should our listeners want to get in touch with you, maybe uh, purchase one of your books? Um, and I believe you're writing a new book, Life Behind Bars. I love this. Forty years of uh, lessons and learnings. Uh, how how they get in touch with you, and how perhaps will they find your books? A, a number of ways. You can go to my website, which is nickmartone.com. Uh, you can find me there. You might, might, you can, you can email me through there. You can go to my LinkedIn, uh, which I'm, I'm an open networker on LinkedIn. My email is there. Contact information is there. That would be the two simplest ways. Thank you very much, Nick. Thank and you, gentlemen. My co-host Lindsay Adams. This is Rail Bricker signing off for another edition of the Top Wonderful. Five Thank Podcast. You.